Well, we're going to be in Judges chapter 10. That's where we're going to start out at. Judges chapter 10. This morning is more of an introduction to the next judge. And we're going to kind of take the long way around to get to him. And that's because the book of Judges asks us to reflect upon everything that's happened. We're looking back on a period of time and, and the, what God wants us to do is to read the book of Judges and, and think about what happened. We can see good decisions and bad decisions. We can see the consequences. And so God wants us to, to take advantage of the good, the good examples and to not make the mistakes of the bad ones. It's been two weeks since we were together studying the book of Judges. Last, last time we were here, we were in chapter 9, and we, we learned about Abimelech and what happened with him. And we saw that there are consequences to bad decisions. And when we saw what happened to him, we would think, you know, I wish he wouldn't have done that. I wish he would have saw it differently. Because... Even though bad decisions lead to bad consequences, it doesn't have to be that way. You can change. You can turn things around. You can repent, turn back to God. You can stop doing what you're doing. And then we also saw with Abimelech that specifically that he felt like he had suffered an incredible injustice. And he behaved a certain way because of that injustice. And so we want to remember that even if that's true, it does not give us an excuse to sin. When a person dies, there's a beginning and an end. There's two bookends. And everything is written. There's nothing, nothing is in process any longer. And so we can look at a person's life and you can make assessments about it, can't we? We can, we can maybe see some, some bad decisions and the consequences that were there. We can maybe see how someone turned away from a bad consequence. In the middle, in between those bookends, that's life. That's where we are. And so it's a, very important for us to take advantage of the things that God teaches us in the Bible to make our lives better and more meaningful and abundant so that we don't make the same mistakes that other people have made. You're, you're walking in the light and you start to veer off the path a little bit. And now the light's not quite so bright. But you're okay. You're still in the light. You still see what you're doing. You get a little bit further away. And when these things happen, there are built-in mechanisms that are, are warning signals to us. Little bells go off letting us know that we're doing something wrong. And uh, Those warning signs, those alerts, are things like, like the law. The law is there to protect us. Um, our parents, our peers, your conscience, the Bible, these things are telling us when we're doing something wrong, when we're starting to go astray from the truth, when you know the light uh, lights up our path. The Word of God lights up our way. We don't want to veer to the right or left of that. We want to stay right in there. We spent uh, we spent five weeks studying the life of Gideon. And that culminated with his legacy. 
what, what Gideon left behind. He had multiple wives. I'm not going to get into that. But he had multiple wives and they gave him 70 sons. 70. And in Judges 8.30, it tells us that those 70 sons were his direct descendants. And they were his direct descendants because they came from his wives. Well, this excludes Abimelech because Abimelech's mom was a concubine in Shechem. And so Abimelech's dad was Gideon, but he had no inheritance. He was not viewed as a direct descendant. How did he respond to that? That unwantedness? Well, he lured all of his brothers together and he murdered them. He killed every one of them except Jotham who escaped. And then he made himself king over that whole area and he was a horrible person. Behaved terribly. So badly that at the end of three years, everybody underneath him rebelled against him. So his reign only lasted three years, three very short years. And in that short amount of time, there was treachery and betrayal, murder, brutality, and war. And in that short amount of time, Abimelech and his army and all of those people who followed him were swept away in just three years. It is a sobering reminder that bad choices have consequences. The same can be said about Adolf Hitler. In September of 1939, he invaded Poland, and that drew Great Britain and France into the war. And by 1941, Russia and the United States were involved. The whole world was at war. Japan had moved all the way into China, ravaging the nation, destroying China. They were at war with us. Italy had joined forces with Germany. North Africa, the Middle East, the entire world was at war, thanks to him. And by 1945, he was dead. In April of 1945. All of that in just less than six years. The theater in Europe was not was over by 1945, but of course it was still raging on in the Pacific. By the time World War II was over, there was an estimated 70 to 85 million people died. Well, these things don't just happen in a vacuum. World War II did not just automatically happen. Then just spring up on us. There were things that led up to it. What happened with Abimelech did not just happen in a vacuum. Bad decisions precede destruction. So if you're making a bad decision, what does that tell you? It tells you that you are facing a bad future. You can just expect it. So when you veer off from the path, doing your own thing in any way, shape, or form, you can expect that to bring problems into your life. And I, can't expect, I can expect the same things too. 
But when we think about what happened with Abimelech, when we think about all the factors that involved that led up to this world war, there was a, there was a, things had to happen. There was erosion. There was a slippery slope. And in the Bible, it tells us that all of those people who helped Abimelech, whether they helped him by action or inaction, you know, sometimes people will stand over in the side with their mouth shut in silence and just watch it all happen. The Bible tells us that all of those people, whether they supported him by action or inaction, fell under judgment and they were swept along, swept away right alongside him. In Judges chapter 9, verse 24, it says that this is why. It says, because they strengthened his hands. You can strengthen someone's hands by doing nothing or helping. They strengthened his hands and they fell under God's judgment. What I'm talking about, why I brought up these two fellows, is just because we see that when you make bad decisions, it's going to take you someplace. And you don't want to go there. So you have to put the brakes on. All of us do. When we hear these warnings bells going off in our lives, and, and you know, when we know we're doing something wrong, we, we need to bring ourselves back to the center. America has been going off center for quite a while now. Uh, you know, we live in a democracy. And so how we vote and why we vote, did that keep going? Oh, my fingers. Um, how we vote and why we vote matters. It matters to our country. It matters to our family. It matters to the legacy that we leave behind. And it certainly matters to God. You know, there is an ongoing effort, a systematic ongoing effort to remove God from our culture. Prayer and reading the Bible was removed from school and restricted to a student's free time. That happened in 1962. That was almost 60 years ago. So much has happened in our educational system since then. Maybe you can think of a few things yourself. The, the God-ordained structure of the family, not what families look like today, but the God-ordained structure of the family has been abandoned. People don't marry anymore. They don't marry for something as frivolous as a government check. And people that have no business marrying marry. Marriages that are way outside of the God-ordained structure of marriage. The family is under attack. It has been dismantled. And it didn't just happen today. It's been happening a long time. In 1965, that's 56 years ago, 24% of black infants were born outside of marriage. 3.1% of white infants were born outside of marriage. 24% and 3%. Today, nearly 70% of all black infants are born with parents who are not married, and 28% of all white children are born without married parents. You have to be blind to not see what's happening and the damage that that is creating. 
It's bad for our country. It's abandoning the God-ordained structure of family. Since Roe versus Wade in 1973, more than 44 million babies have been aborted. That's almost 2,400 babies a day. Census reports look at the 140 million women that are in our country. About 140 million. 71% of them are white. And they account for 33% of all of the abortions. So by far most of the abortions are accounted for by white women. But because black women only comprise 13% of the population in the United States, and they can account for 37% of the abortions, the black community is hit five times harder. It's devastating. So when the NAACP promotes choice, whose agenda are they really advancing? In some situations, more black babies are aborted than born. That's not advancing colored people. Today when a Christian votes, he or she will be making decisions about whether or not to legislate sexual immorality, abortion, the ongoing removal of God from our society, and the continuing effort to silence any view that opposes the erosion. The world has been watching Hamas launch more than a thousand rockets onto the residential neighborhoods of Israel. And when Israel, can, when Israel defended herself, she was condemned. Israel remains Satan's target. And we watch nations and even leaders in our own government align themselves with Satan's agenda. An agenda that will ultimately lead to Armageddon. The conflict between the Arab nations and the Jewish people is not new. It is political. It is also because of Islam. But it works its way all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael. In Genesis 16, in Genesis 16, 12, it, it predicts this. It tells us that from the very beginning there will always be enmity between the two. You remember that God promised Abraham and Sarah a son. And they were old. She was barren. This wasn't going to happen. And so Sarah permitted Abraham to have a child with her Egyptian servant named Hagar. And that child's name was Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of all of the Arab nations. But what Sarah and Abraham did was sin. They, didn't lack, they lacked faith, and they tried to circumvent and make God's promise happen the wrong way. It isn't because God hates Ishmael. It's because Abraham and Sarah lacked faith and sinned and didn't trust him. But when they did trust him, God brought his son to them the right way, and that's Isaac. And so the birthright went to Isaac instead of Ishmael. That's the enmity between the two. And I just want us to think about what that was like. You know, uh, 
when, when Ishmael got older, when he started to get older, he would begin to understand things about his origins. He would begin to understand the relationship between his mom and Abraham. He would come to understand that his birth was the result of sin. That's a lot to handle. How do you respond? How does a person respond when they realize that the, their birth is the result of sin? Well, we've been watching it on the news. When Jacob obtained his birthright from Esau, those hard feelings almost led to murder. Esau almost murdered his brother. And the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. In the, in the New Testament, in the Greek, they're called Idumeans. And so like uh, there was one Idumean, one descendant of Esau who converted to Judaism and he ended up becoming Herod the Great. But in the Old Testament, the descendants of Esau were the enemies of Israel. Esau traded away his birthright for, for a meal and he grew to hate Jacob. And the descendants of Esau began to hate Israel. And so how did they respond? They did not worship God, they worshiped idols and they were constantly waging war against Israel throughout the Old Testament. Yet, even with those origins, Caleb and Othniel and Aksa turned to God. They had the same origins, but they responded to it differently. This is a lesson in humility and choice. It is a lesson for the unwanted. You know, this should shine a very different light for us on unwanted pregnancies, whether they are from deformity, incest, rape, Abuse, neglect, abandonment, adoption. We all know people who have suffered from an injustice. Maybe you have suffered from an injustice. It makes most people sour and spoil. But some people will bloom where they're planted. Like Caleb and Othniel and Axa. Remember, we studied them. We, we spent a, our, our Mother's Day sermon message on them. We saw how Abimelech responded to his circumstances. He was the unwanted son of a concubine, disowned by his family, cut off from an inheritance. And what did he do? He lashed out. That was the choice that he made. And it was a bad one. And in three years he was dead. And it had eternal consequences, obviously. So for three years and then dying is not the end of the story. Abimelech is still alive today, just as much as he was back then. He's just not here. But Abimelech is still Abimelech. We never stop existing. Ever. We're in this tent that gets old and falls apart. And one of these days we're going to shed these tents. But we never stop being who we are. Very important where we go. Our next judge is named Jephthah. And the reason all of this has been said is because it has everything to do with us reflecting upon Jephthah. When we compare what happened with Abimelech with what's going to happen with this judge. 
Because you see, Jephthah is the son of a prostitute. How would you like to be the son of a prostitute? And unfortunately for him, he actually knows who his family is. And they don't care anything about him. They've disowned him. He's got no inheritance. And so it becomes the tale of two cities, Abimelech and Jephthah. How are these two men going to respond to their unwanted conditions? How will this next judge handle his unwanted circumstance? Are those three things up on the wall, up on the thing? As we approach our next judges in the book, let's remember these three things. The consequences of bad decisions. Abimelech and those who followed him perished because of those terrible decisions. But destruction can be avoided. You know, bad, bad decisions precede destruction. But judgment can be avoided if we recognize lost ground. If we realize that there's been erosion in our lives. And we turn back to God. It doesn't have to be the end of it. And we obviously have seen with Ishmael, with Esau, with Abimelech, that an injustice does not give us an excuse to sin. It doesn't give us an excuse to feel sorry for ourselves, to lash out, or to get even. Now our passage this morning begins in chapter 10. There are two minor judges at the beginning of the chapter, Tola and Jer. And they're called minors only because we don't know anything about them. The book just barely says anything about a handful of judges. And so we just refer to them as minor judges. But <laughs> they may or may not have been, I don't know. I don't know what a minor judge would actually be. But we can see there that there's not much said about them. There's not a lot of territory in those first five verses about those two people. And then after that is Jephthah. There's quite a bit of information about him. If I could just kind of summarize what's going to happen beginning in verse 6 to the end of the chapter. The Lord's anger burns against Israel because they have returned to Baal. And because they returned to Baal after these two minor judges... The Bible tells us that he sold them to the Philistines and the Ammonites and they shattered and crushed them for 18 years. It is a repeated story, isn't it, in this book? Yeah. So they've returned to Baal. They've abandoned God. And so he has sent the Ammonites and the Philistines to shatter and crush them for 18 years. And during this time... They, uh, they are they're the focus, and I won't show the map because I, didn't, I, didn't, I forgot to put it on there, <laughs> or I would have. But uh, uh, this is all happening on the east side of the Jordan, so in, in modern-day Jordan, the country of Jordan. So this is on the east side of the Jordan River. This is where the majority of all of these uh, things are happening. But the Philistines and the Ammonites would cross the Jordan and raid Benjamin and Ephraim, and Judah, until finally Israel cried out to God. But in verse 13, God said no. 
I'm not going to deliver you. And that is a different thing than we've seen happen up to this point. Whenever they've cried out, God's been there. This time he said no. And you know what happened after that? They got rid of their idols. <laughs> so they had their idols when they were asking God to deliver them. Do we ever do anything like that? It's kind of like a serial killer. Got a bunch of people buried in his backyard. He's praying to God about his car payment. So in verse 16, they got rid of their foreign gods and they worshiped the Lord. And that was when he became weary of watching what was happening to them. It is the parent who grieves over his child's suffering. He just can't take it any longer. So when they got rid of their idols and they worshiped him, God came running back. This picks us up in the beginning of chapter 11. I'm going to read, read it together. I'm just going to read a little bit. Jephthah the Gileadite, that means he's from Gilead, from Gilead. He was a great warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead was his dad. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you will have no inheritance in our father's house because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and he lived in the land of Tob. And then some lawless men joined him and they traveled with him. Well, sometime later, the Ammonites fought against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war with Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to him, come, be our commander, let's fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah replied to the elders of Gilead, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why then have you come to me now when you're in trouble? And they answered Jephthah, since that's true, we now turn to you. Come with us, fight the Ammonites, and you will become the leader of all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to them, if you are bringing me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. And then the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is our witness if we don't do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people put him over themselves as leader and commander, and Jephthah repeated all his terms in the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. So the stage is set. I told you this was kind of an introduction to this king. So the stage is set. We have the son of a prostitute. Gilead's wife had many sons, and those sons drove out Jephthah. Tells us here he was a, a great warrior. That's why they went and got him. And all of these ruthless, worthless men started following him. And so he had his own little miniature army. And so when Gilead, the men of Gilead got in trouble, they went to find him. I'm going to make two closing comments, but before I do, I just want us to 
take a moment to think about what I've been trying to express this morning. That in our lives, we are constantly going to have someone do us do something to us that's wrong. Whether it's a, a, a car dealer takes us to the cleaners, your neighbor, somebody at work. But sometimes things are really serious, like your mom's a prostitute and you've been disowned by your family. How are you going to respond? The first thing I want us to notice about our reading is that God didn't trust the men of Israel when they called out to him. And then when they came to Jephthah, he didn't trust him either. Why? This demonstrates to you and I the importance of good character because the men of Israel lacked integrity. Integrity means that you keep your word, that you are dependable, that you are steadfast. That's the kind of person God wants us to be because when that's the kind of person you are, when you have that kind of character, People can depend on you. If they need something, they can go to you because they know you'll be there. You can do it. You'll come through. You'll keep your promise. They can trust you. How are we supposed to be an example for Christ? How are we supposed to be His witness if we don't have integrity? How we vote reveals our integrity. How we think about things. How we respond to injustice has everything to do with our integrity. Christians are supposed to be above reproach, not just the pastor or whatever, all of us. We're all supposed to be above reproach. And so let's look at Jephthah, my closing point. Even though these things are true about him, he was not sour milk. The most important clue in just our reading so far is that he is a valiant warrior and they've came to him for help. But he was not trusting in himself. His confidence was in God. Look at verse 9. If the Lord gives them to me. Humility. 